Lord, I pray that in these moments, you would show your redeeming grace to us, that we could say with confidence, you are my God. I have a redeemer. Now I can face life. Now the difficult part I must turn to in faith. Father, may we say with David that your steadfast love is better than life. So, Father, be among us. Help the word become more than just a presentation. Lord, I pray you'd help this moment become alive with your goodness, alive with your grace. Be present among us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Desire. You've been made for desire. Um, I don't know if you ever looked at the cover of a cooking magazine. You look at the cover of a cooking magazine, there's always some incredible, you know, blueberry cheesecake or something that is remarkable. It draws you in. And you are drawn in with the idea of perhaps, as I saw in one cooking magazine recently going into the holidays, the perfect holiday guide. Okay. It's not just a blueberry cheesecake. That's a perfect blueberry cheesecake. We're drawn to that, aren't we? And when we, uh, I do love to talk about food, and my, it's probably my number one illustration in my sermons is food, so you can tell my fascination. Uh, but we love to compare food, don't we? We talk about it, restaurant food, and we like to talk about it. And our experiences uh, of food are so reflective of our spiritual needs. David mentions this in his, in his sense of God's absence or his understanding of what it's like to have God's presence. This is a psalm early in David's life when he finds himself in the wilderness and he is running from some who oppose him. That's enough background. That's good. And he finds himself reflecting on God's goodness, and he uses the imagery of thirsting and of, uh, of hungering. What's it like to know God? By sheer grace, David says in verse 1, you are my God. Notice that little quick little phrase there. You are my God. That is God including David in the great story of redemption. David is part of Israel's history. David is part of the redemption of God that in included his bringing Israel out of, out of Egypt. Remember the Exodus story? and the occupation in the land. That is a redemptive story, and David becomes the recipient of God's grace where he can say with intimacy, God, you are my God. David is part of this remarkable redemptive story that had nothing to do with his effort. I want to give you some relief as we begin this morning. I want you to know that I will probably have very few exhortations this morning in this message. That means that I am not going to just come up here and just exhort you to do something or to be something. I am going to just hopefully just present to you the goodness of God and let you think on that. That is a relief 
But you see, the church is not always clear in what God has done and what we're to enjoy about what God has done. The church is not always clear on that. And that a worship service can talk about grace, can talk about what Jesus has done, but really what you're left with was a great burden on your back of what you should do, what, what more you should accomplish, how more diligent you should be, how more responsible you should be, and it's not very uplifting. In fact, it's not even those motiv- the motivation to do things for God or to respond to the, to the, go- to the gospel is out of sheer gratitude. So I want to set up in today a sense of, oh, that's what gratitude looks like. Oh, that's what being redeemed looks like. The psalm is about someone who is thirsting with great intensity. Let me give you some good news. The only one who's ever done that is Jesus. The only one who's ever accomplished what the passion of this psalm is Jesus. The only one who looked to God with such great intense thirst, with such great intense need, with such great intense focus is Jesus. Everyone, do you feel relief? I hope you feel relief. This is the soul of someone who is finding great satisfaction in God. And there's only one person who did did that, and that's Jesus. He truly lived this dependent life upon the Father. Remarkable. So be encouraged that the psalm is actually talking about Jesus. I want to guide you today in this psalm, think about a few thoughts about Advent. And we'll connect this to, to connect what, what's grabbing David, David's heart to, to what can and should and ought to grab our hearts. That's, that's kind of where we're going. The psalm itself, verse 1, is sort of the, it's like the heart of David has a GPS in it. And it's sort of been, it somehow has been thrown off. Someone's been thrown off. It can't. It, it it knows his heart knows that he has experienced God's goodness, and he is in a place, a wilderness place, and he wants to get back to that that sense of God's the deep pleasure of God for his heart and soul. So he's he, and again he's talking out loud, and he's talking about how he thirsts for God. Toward the end of verse 1, the first line there, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. It's interesting that the original language there, um, you could almost add, earnestly I seek you like the task I would do in the morning, like an urgent task I would do in the morning. It's a very interesting um, verb there, and that is that it's, it's a verb that would be attached to something very important that you want to get done in the morning. And David is aware that as he, if he were to wake up, the seeking of God, experiencing the presence of God, would be the first thing he, he would grip his heart. The soul, verse 1, is thirsting. The flesh is fainting. The, the, the flesh is is, 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 is losing its power. 
without God's presence. I'm in a situation where I must find God. Have you ever been really thirsty? Been really thirsty? And you can't, you don't have access to water? They say that of all the senses we have, thirst is the most intense of them all. It's, it's very difficult to get thirst out of your mind, by the way, to pretend it's not happening. <laughs> your thirst is all captivating. Beautiful image. I must, I'm in a situation where I must find God. He, he, uh, I learned a little bit about plants this week, and uh, I want to share this with you. Um, there are heliotropic flowers. Some of you know, I see a few nods. The heliotropic flowers, they turn their blossoms to face the sun. I have some hibiscus in our yard. And the bloom happens. And then I can, well, it takes a while, but they, they turn slowly to try and find the sun. But a phototropic, now that was a heliotropic. Isn't this why you came to church? Isn't this fascinating? So, but the phototropic flowers the flower itself, I mean, the plant itself grows toward the sun. So the plant itself, not just the, not just the bloom. And it's finding, it's direct, it's finding the, the it's, it's, it's seeking, obviously, photosynthesis, and it's, it's seeking to find, essentially, its, its source of, of strength or power or nourishment. David's heart is seeking and turning in a dry and weary land, trying to find the gaze, the focus of his gaze upon the person of God. That's a really intense psalm with imagery of great intensity. In verse 2, he, he says that, essentially he says, I miss the sanctuary. For him, it would have been the tabernacle, this tent structure. The temple had not been built yet. But he's, he's essentially saying, I miss the... When I would gather in what's described here in the sanctuary, I would behold your power and glory. I would see something of you, your person. I would see this reflected in my surroundings, in, the, in this tabernacle worship. It's interesting. He sees God's power and glory. Glory is this remarkable word that talks about God's magnificence. Glory talks about God's weightiness. Weightiness. You've been made to experience God's glory. As David, of course, looks to the sanctuary, we, we look to Jesus. We've been made to be like these plants that the whole of their, the whole of their, the whole of their plant turns to God. We've been made that way. Verse three. Look at this. Because your steadfast love is better than life. There's the comparison. David has, like us, been looking for what makes life full. What makes life uh, wonderful. And he has now taken the whole concept of whatever I could experience in this life 
And he said, your steadfast love is better, and this is remarkable stuff, is better than anything I could experience in this life. I hope that um, on a scale of 1 to 10, by way of being stunned, you're at least moving to a 7 or 8 at this point. How is it possible that a person could, could care this much or be so, so clear in their understanding of their soul? Again, we're always evaluating, always thinking, what is worth? What's, what's this worth? Uh, perhaps this is for you and, and you know, in your life. You're constantly searching. It, it would describe the gener- my generation. Constantly searching, usually with new things. We love that advertising thing of new, right? My generation. We, we, we invented that. New. With philosophy and theology, sometimes it's whatever's newest is truest. So we love the new. We love the updated. We love the latest study. Isn't that good? The latest study. And suddenly everything you knew was outdated. We love being in the moment. Isn't that one of the great phrases right now? Living in the moment. But David's experienced all that stuff. He's, and he's saying, for me to live in the moment is, is to have this Godward direction of, of my heart continually being satisfied by God. Now, I don't know what you do when you hear this kind of talk on Sunday morning. I don't know how you process this. I'd be fascinated to hear you write down. For instance, some of, I don't know how you're concluding, but some of you may be concluding, well, if I had time, I would certainly like this Psalm 63 life. I, yeah, if I had time. Some of you are concluding, well, that's for professional theologians, Pastor Todd. We're really glad you, you know, just share your thoughts and, you know, help us. And maybe you inspire us on Sunday morning. And we're really glad you can do Psalm 63 and we'll watch you. I don't know. That, that doesn't sound that interesting or, or fun. But I don't know how many of you are saying, well, okay, what, what would it look like? How could I understand God in such a way that this could be more and more of my my reality. Um, and I don't know if you've been thinking about perhaps this upcoming year of, of what would it look like to foster, create environments, create a structure for your life where you could at least even just all right, I'm going to start off with Psalm 63 today. Lord, warm my heart. Be my redeemer. I'm part of this great redemptive story. Help me. I, man, my desires are all over the place. I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm, I'm turning away from all this, and I'm going to focus on you. Think about the structures that might need to be in place for you to begin to cultivate time so that you can be a plant that is like a plant that is more finding more of its source for energy and for life. Your steadfast love, quite a statement, your steadfast love is better than life. And then look, verse 4, there's a statement about David's life. So I will bless you as long as I live. 
I will commit my time to you. I understand this is how I am to conduct my life. I, I have experienced enough of your goodness that I know why I exist. I know the purpose for which I've been made, and that is to turn and give you praise and thanks in the moments that you give me on this earth. Has this ever crept up on you? This sense of, I think I need to be tapping into a sense of spiritual joy. I need to slow down. I need to realize my Redeemer in this moment. When I was in college, it was very interesting for me. Um, we had a reference section in the library, and this is the reference books, right, that you can't check out. Right? So I found myself intrigued with the reference section, and there was even within the reference section, there was sort of this kind of like the Holy of Holies. It was a, a, a room that was for, for rare books. And I was immediately interested in those rare books. So you had to go back, back there, open the door, and sit there among the rare books. I remember reading a commentary pretty regularly on Romans. And, and I thought to myself, here I am. I'm, I'm at a Christian college. I've got plenty of classes. i got work to do. I've got homework to do. Why am I here? Why am I sitting in this room all quiet, reading this commentary on Romans, just for my own benefit? Another experience. I would walk past a chapel, a very small little chapel, and I'd find myself walking in there and just sitting there in the stained glass. And again, the same thought. I've got stuff to do. Uh, I've got this. Why am I here? It was beginning to teach, uh, these moments were beginning to teach me that I need moments of quiet, moments of structured time to understand my need. My need is largely hidden from me. David is in the wilderness, and it his need is not hidden from him. He understands that in this desert, wherever he is, there's nothing here upon which he can gaze that will satisfy him. He has to have his heart, spirit focused on God. And he's, he's aware of it. Think about that. Think about when David is saying that there is nothing yet to compare with you, O God, think about this. Think about your own awareness of what you put before this pursuit. What, what captivates the energy of your life these days? What captivates the wonder of your heart? you know if you were to regularly engage, figure this out, I'm here to help, stumble along with you, if you were to regularly figure this out, you would discover an encounter with the living God 
that cannot be compared. Cannot be compared. Look at verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with, and this is strange for us, isn't it? With fat. They didn't have an understanding of diet back then. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Well, when does this all happen? Well, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul, verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David's, David's evening meditations, David's understanding of what it looks like to be satisfied with God, it, God becomes part of your daydream. What do you daydream about? Have you thought about that? What do you daydream about? Usually a daydream has something to do with something you would like to be comforted by, something you would like to be occupied with, something you would like to happen in your life. So in the day, this is David's sort of daydream. And he finds himself deeply satisfied with God, remembering God, and clinging to God. And the whole of David's life is, I will bless you, verse, five, verse 4, with, with you as long as I live. David's circumstances are disappointing. If you read further in the psalm, beyond verse 8, you will find that David is being pursued. David has enemies. He's not eating rich food, and he's not living in comfort but he is aware of what God's steadfast love looks like. Folks, this is 3,000 years ago. David's 1,000 years B.C. Now, when we think about God's steadfast love, do we have a better understanding of it than even David? Yes. Do we see more clearly what it looks like for God to be our redeemer, to be our steadfast, faithful God? Absolutely. We have the, the revelation of the New Testament. As David gazed upon God in what he called the sanctuary, and he beheld God's power and glory, that's in black and white compared to our vivid, living, uh, multi-pixelated, high-density view of redemption. Psalm 63 highlights key words like mercy and desire and delight. David is what I would call doing restorative gazing. Restorative gazing. He's highlighting the power of God that he has delighted in. For us, let's insert New Testament thinking here. For us, are we not called to 
to gaze upon the power of God in Christ. When the angel first spoke to Mary, Gabriel began to discuss with her the power of God that would come upon her, that the Holy Spirit would enter her womb, and in this secret place, the power of God would bring the birth of the God-man. Joseph was told, you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people, insert power, he will save his people from their sins. In Advent, we see more than what David saw as he entered the sanctuary beholding the power and glory of God. We recognize that Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us, has entered the heavenly sanctuary and has presented his body and his blood there, his works. He's been received there. Again, I, throughout this series, I've been asking and challenging you to lift your eyes to the heavenly work of Jesus on your behalf. Behold, David's view that God encompasses everything of his life. Didn't you get that feel from Psalm 63? That the whole of my life is, is I find satisfaction in you, Lord. In fact, you're, you're better than life. You're my all in all. That same picture now magnified a thousand times. Jesus is our all in all. Take a look at any of the epistles. Take a look at the book of Acts, take a look at the, the Gospels. Find Jesus healing someone. He's going to be our all in all for new bodies. Find Jesus teaching someone. He's going to be our, our all in all. You're going to finally have uh, enough uh, uh, renewal in your mind. You're going to be able to, in the new heavens and new earth, you're going to be thinking rightly. He's our all in all. And this is one of the great emphases of the New Testament. Do you see how, how great? The second Adam, our representative, has accomplished this remarkable work. And here, here's the bonus. The Holy Spirit has come and has brought you into union with all that Jesus has done. You are in union with this remarkable Redeemer by God's grace. His life and death and resurrection are applied to you. You are in union with him, however weak you feel this moment. However, whatever lack you may feel inside you, by faith you are in union with this remarkably powerful Redeemer. It's really true. It's really happening. The Holy Spirit is the creator of this union. And one theologian described this union as, quote, all the aliveness to God, all the faith, the hope, and love Godward, all the desire for him and the urges to worship him, this is within you by the Holy Spirit. Do you feel the passion of Psalm 63? I feel passion. Do you feel the, the heartfelt desire to be close to God? I will tell you this seed of what you've read in Psalm 63, the heart of it is in you already by God's grace. 
And we believe what's called progressive sanctification. We stumble forward. Sometimes we have remarkable, a remarkable sense that God is with us. And sometimes we wonder, what on earth's going on? What happened? We stumble forward. You, brothers and sisters, by faith, you are in union with the living God. You are beholding his power and glory. This objective reality, Jesus died, was buried, rose again, that's objective reality. It, it is by God's grace through the Holy Spirit in union with Christ, God intends for this to be a subjective experience with you and for you. The psalm is describing an aliveness to God. When the angels again are declaring to the shepherds this glorious announcement, you can sense the aliveness, the aliveness of heaven is now descending upon the earth. And in Jesus, he rises back up, back up into heaven and this aliveness, Ephesians 2 calls it the quickening, the, the renewal of our natures is within us. This seeking, this thirsting, this hungering, this looking, beholding, blessing, remembering, clinging. This is the aliveness to God that God is working in you. Let me finish with this image for you. This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul in Colossians. And see if this connects with everything we've said. Gaze upon this verse. This is Paul's prayer to the Colossians that you would be being strengthened with all power. Colossians 1.11. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That's real life this world living. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Why do we give thanks to the Father? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have, notice the tense, in whom we have current possession, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the power and the glory that David saw just a glimmer of when God revealed himself to David in power and glory. It had to do with redemptive power and redemptive glory. Saving power, saving glory, connecting power, connecting glory, union with Christ glory. You, beloved, have been brought into union with Christ by faith. And you have had, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of his beloved son. David's response to all this, verse 8, my soul clings to you. Soul clings to you. That's the response. So, I present to you the gospel in Psalm 63. The gospel is found in Jesus, is ultimately the faithful one who 
experienced all these emotions and was trusting in God's steadfast love, and he has now brought his redemption to bear upon your heart. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Be looking up. Receive again the truth that you are in this remarkable redemptive plan. It wasn't because of your efforts, because of your strength, because of your goodness, because of your faithfulness. God has delighted to bring you in that you might see him. See his majesty. See his glory. Let's pray. Father, I sense the filling of your spirit. That you've taken these words from David so long ago and you've shown us Christ. You've shown us a redeemer who can change our hearts. And so, Lord, take your people. Receive. Receive them, Lord. Help, help me, help them turn away from our feebleness. Turn away from our shortcomings. Turn away from our obedience. Turn away from our goodness, our righteousness. And just to say, Lord, you're better than I thought. You've, you've, you've taken me out of the dominion of darkness while I gaze upon you. You've transferred me into the kingdom of his son. Help me to gaze more faithfully that I might be renewed. In the name of Christ we pray, amen, amen.